She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. In search of... Psychic detectives. Ooh, I knew you were going to say that. This episode was written and produced by Deborah Bloom. It was edited by Michael Ornstein and John Schwartz. And as always, the series is hosted and narrated by Leonard Nimoy. This episode originally aired on Thursday, May 26, 1977. And we mentioned that the previous episode on Atlantis had been the earliest production number, 701. This one has the last production number of the episodes this season with 736. Yep, these are the Alpha and Omega. Behold. <laughs> so, yes. So then we have our narration from Leonard Nimoy, and he says, he touches an object belonging to a victim of a crime. He claims that suddenly he is transported beyond time and space. A crime is reenacted before his eyes. He says he is reliving a moment in the past, a place he's never seen before, with people he does not know. <gasps> oh. And we see this dude like fondling rings and stuff. And like doing that, like, oh, I feel things kind of look on his face. And he says, it has been a trance. But when it ends, psychic Peter Herkos seems to have hard information. The name of the killer, the manner in which the victim died, and the time of death. He calls himself a psychic detective. <gasps> Whoa. Dun, 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 dun. He comes back and he says, can ESP be used to fight crime and locate missing persons in search of explorers potential of the psychic detective? Dun, 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 dun. Then it says in search of psychic detectives. So now we get our theory and conjecture caveat. And then I do wonder how come none of these psychic detectives ever use their abilities to actually prevent crimes. It's like they're police or something. I don't know. But- <laughs> Well, to be fair, if they were really psychic, a lot of their abilities, I mean, it depends on your psychic ability, but if you have like psychomancy, you'd have to like touch something like to, so you'd have to have a victim. Ooh, like unbreakable when he bumps into people. Yeah. You have to like have some contact or something. So you wouldn't just go around touching people. I mean, you could, you might get in trouble. I mean, that would be an excuse. Like, hey, I'm trying to save your life, lady. (laughs) <laughs> but again it depends on what <laughs> abilities you purport to have as well and how those might work because some people all are like right. i can see the future but all right tori i mean i'm not saying any pouring water on real, my hot take but i would love to believe in psychic detectives i'm really excited about this episode but also most of them are frauds so yeah yeah so just a note we're going to handle this episode a little bit differently as it's presented rather differently, rather than following a series of ideas and information to suggest a solution to an inquiry, this episode runs more like a segment of a future television series you might have heard of called Unsolved Mysteries mm-hmm. and follows, for the most part, a single individual and then discusses, for the most part, a single case interspersed with some narration and reenactments mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. a, little, a little different. So I'm just glad they're mixing it up because it gives me hope for future episodes because I feel like some of the formats 
it's just they just kind of hit you with a bunch of little things and i would rather see more in-depth stories so hopefully we'll get more of that in yeah the future. well it depends how they do it sometimes it's just like yeah. we're gonna list a bunch of stuff and then other times they actually are doing like what i said where they're actually like following a logical plan but not a lot so yeah yeah so we open with chief detective robert lowry who has been with the fluorescent police department in st louis county for 23 years Detective work involves the long-established techniques of following leads, gathering evidence, and questioning witnesses. But two years ago, Detective Lowry broke with tradition to solve a kidnapping case. The manager of a local store was reported missing, and after three weeks, the case had come to a standstill. (gasps) He was persuaded to try a new and unconventional investigative tool. And then Lowry tells us, We conducted a very extensive investigation. We'd exhausted all leads, and it was brought to my attention by a member of the television news media that we could possibly call in a psychic. My reaction to it at first, of course, is that I am a police officer, and police officers deal with facts, and I wasn't too receptive to the idea. But I agreed to it after the family members indicated their desire. So basically the family was like, well, maybe you should try this if you're stuck anyway. Couldn't hurt. Yeah, you saw Mr. Jack Webb, just the facts, ma'am, action. Yeah. So according to the narration, the results were remarkable. The psychic accurately pinpointed the location of the victim and led the police to the site. This information, relayed by a psychic means, Enabled the police to solve the case. <gasps> we're not actually given the resolution, though, which was kind of weird. Yeah, or, yeah, we're not getting any details. So, yeah. And I'm kind of wondering if that's on purpose, because in the episode, they say fluorescent police department in St. Louis. They drop the county part. I added that back in in our notes. Fluorescent is a city outside of St. Louis in St. Louis County. In 2020, it had a population of around 52,000 people, which made it the 13th largest city in Missouri and the largest municipality in St. Louis County. The 1970 census had it at around 65,000 people, and the 1980 had it around 55,000 people. So it's pretty in there, probably a little bit more than 55,000 at this point in time. If a population that size sounds strange as the largest in a county, named St. Louis County. That is because in 1877, the residents of the city of St. Louis voted to separate themselves from the county and became an independent city. So St. Louis is not in St. Louis County. Oh, interesting. That's why Florissant with 50,000 people is the biggest city in the county. So (laughs) weird. Yeah. Not a lot of people apparently live in Missouri, I'm guessing. Um, hmm. Yeah, I I don't know the population of Missouri. Yeah. When I was like in fourth grade, we had to do state projects and I ended up with Missouri. So I, I used to know a lot about it, but that was like in fourth grade. So obviously it's been a really long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, where, where I grew up in a little podunk town in central California, like when I was born, I think there was like 25,000 people. And when I graduated from high school, there was like 80,000 people. And we were still just a small little dirt mm-hmm. town. And this one has like 50,000 people. And they're like the biggest in the county. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, not a big police department is what I'm trying to tell you in this case. It sounds like, ooh, St. Louis Police Department. No, not St. Louis Police Department. Then we get Leonard Nimoy with a narration in the middle of the episode, kind of. Well, not really the middle, but he says, extrasensory perception is the power of the mind to reach across time and space in a way that seems impossible. 
to know a thought when it has not been spoken, to see an event that has happened in a distant place. Scientists acknowledge that it exists, but don't understand how it works. Some people believe it can be harnessed for practical use, and one way may be in the fight against crime. He says scientists acknowledge that it exists. I'm not like, did he talk to Dr. Vinkman? What are you talking to? <laughs> what scientists are they talking to? I don't know. <laughs> scientists yeah. who will say what they want them to say. <laughs> I guess. Scientists acknowledge it exists, but they don't understand how it works. I'm like, what scientists? What are you, who are you talking to? Anyway. So then we're told that there are psychics all over the country. The best known is Peter Herkos, who's based in Los Angeles. He visits the scene of a crime to get psychic impressions. Yeah, we'll talk more about that later. It's good. <laughs> Herkos handles personal items of victims and images take shape in his mind. We are told that to date, which of course would be to 1976 or 77, he has worked on over 800 criminal cases. Wow, that's a lot. That is a lot. That's that's quite a bit. Yeah. In Chicago, psychic Irene Hughes has received commendations from police for her assistance in helping them solve no less than 15 murder cases. Whoa. That's, that's a pretty good number. That's like a whole season of psych right there. Good job. Yet the Chicago PD constantly harasses reporter Carl Kolchek for solving at least 20 cases on his own. I know. Bias, 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 bias. Bias. Also, Kolchak's not real. But he's also a journalist. He's not pretending to be psychic, at least. So, Well, I don't know that they think she's pretending to be psychic either. That's the problem. (laughs) In St. Louis, Bevy Yeagers is building a reputation as a psychic detective. She has built a group, U.S. Psychic Rescue Squad, the world's first psychic detective unit. Whoa. Yeah, they have about 18 individuals who meet regularly to use their individual psychic abilities to solve crimes. That is a club I would join. Like if that was (laughs) on Meetup and they were like, yeah, we're going to this lady's house and we're going to like touch some stuff and read some police reports and see if we have any psychic impressions. I would join that club for sure. Which is exactly what they're doing. They're just chilling in her like her living room and she's like Uh reading off cases from the files and they're like, oh, and yeah. I mean, all they need is like some guacamole and chips or something. And that's like a party. <laughs> hey, you got to separate the work from the pleasure. Okay. You got to gotta be on <laughs> psychic ability. Yeah. On. I mean, I don't know Focus. about that, but I would, I would be Focus. in any way. I would join regardless. <laughs> so according to the narration, we're told that through their work, they have proved themselves so effectively that they have all received licenses as private detectives. Which I don't know if you know this, but you can pretty much get a license to be a private detective. You just have to pass a couple tests and stuff. It has nothing to do with your psychic ability. And you don't have to like, I don't think you have to like prove yourself necessarily other than to like fill out the right forms and pay the fees to register as a business. I mean, I don't know exactly how that works, but I'm pretty sure there's no like. How many crimes have you solved? Well, I mean, you need like a cool office with some blinds and like a window pane. And like yeah. a de- nice desk you put your feet up on while you wait for people to come in. Yeah, that. true. Yeah. One member meditates and feels what the victims feel. Ooh. Another uses psychometry and another acts as a psychic geotracker. Oh. Well, yet another, her first student, Jim Mueller, specializes in kidnap victims. Oh. 
The group only accepts cases given to them by law enforcement agencies and they accept no payment. Wow. I mean, honestly, at this point, they're being given like complete case files by the police and are literally putting more man hours and different perspectives into the cases than the police ever could. So, of course, they're probably doing a good job. I mean, yeah. I'm surprised the police aren't just giving them every case and just hanging back, but they're probably haven't figured that part out yet. So, I, mean, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it's not you don't really need psychic ability. You just need time, attention, the ability to comb everything over because you have 18 people who are focusing on it mm-hmm. and come up with theories and just different perspectives, right? Like different, yeah. you know, I mean, I realize they're probably all like in a same, probably, well, not necessarily, but like socioeconomic sort of status. But I mean, it is good to have like different people from different walks of life thinking about things because you, you know, people have different yeah. lives. So, And if people yeah. are going missing and, you know, maybe they're from a different part of town that the police don't really think about or know about, maybe they know stuff about that area that other people, you know, just... Like yeah. you said, different perspectives, different knowledge. Yeah. Well, at this point, too, uh, we'll get to this later. But in 1976, 77, they're actually working like on national and international cases. They've gotten so like popular that like they're getting mm-hmm. stuff all over, not just St. Louis. So. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. We then get a reenactment of the 1971 case of Sally Lucas that brought Bevy Yeager to prominence. On August 16th, 1971, Sally Lucas went missing and the police could turn up nothing. Three weeks to the day after Lucas's disappearance, Bevy Yeager contacted one of the city's newspapers, the St. Louis Globe Democrat. Through them, the police sent her a nightgown and a powder puff. Touching these items, she saw the missing woman's car near water. The next day, the car was found at the Gulf of Mexico. Whoa, that's freaky. Yeah, it's not like there's a million bodies of water everywhere in the U.S. where that prediction would be accurate in a lot of cases. But yeah, Yeah. it's also factually incorrect because the car was found on August 27th in 1971. And if you remember, she disappeared on August 16th. It was only 11 days after she disappeared. And it was found because a sheriff in Panama City, Florida, ran the plates of a car with Missouri plates that had been parked in a campsite for three nights in a row. So, and then Lucas's body would be found on the evening of September 5th, 1971, but could not be removed until September 6th of 1971, which was exactly three weeks of the day that Lucas went missing. So she did not wait like three weeks of the day to contact anybody because that was the day that her body was removed from the site where it was eventually found. So I'm not sure what's going on here with dates and stories, but yeah. Yeah. Clearly not totally correct. Yeah. So after the car was found, police allowed Jaeger to sit in the car. Her reaction was dramatic, but she did get some psychic visions and using those visions Jaeger, her husband, and John Mueller began searching for Lucas's body on their own. As she was pulled by her visions, they found a location on September 4th, 1971 that felt really strong to her, but it was getting dark, so they decided to come back the next day. Unfortunately, a huge storm struck and prevented them from returning. Two days later, Sally Lucas's body washed out of a gully less than 150 feet from where they had been searching. (gasps) Yeah. 
Whoa. So the police were amazed because like they couldn't figure out how could she have been so accurate? Yeah, I mean, because there's no proof beyond the word of Jaeger, her husband and Mueller, that they were actually at the location and it would be to their benefit to say that they were. So that's probably one thing I would imagine. Did they not and, like tell the police, hey, you should search here? Was that not? Yeah, because they're the... searching on their own. Yeah, they're not like searching with the police. It's just they're doing this all on their own because they're. Yeah. And then the police were amazed because she had said that Lucas would have a blow to the back of her head on the right side. Like when she was sitting in the car, she's like, oh, she would have someone hit her in the back of the head on the right hand side. And it's like if you were sitting in a car and someone was in your car, that is exactly where they would hit you. So there is like a really good chance that if something happened to you, that is where you would get hit. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's just, you know guessing and the rest of her visions were honestly like vague enough that you could fit multiple things to it mm-hmm. um and then also we're, we're probably only being told the things that were considered hits because no one ever remembers the missus this whole thing about doing that you just say all kinds of stuff and then yeah and people hits. will walk away with the impression that you were spot on because you told them two things about like your grandma's like lavender tablecloth or something and that just yeah felt like such and that's a the thing a lot of these people are super good at that and they're also i'm gonna say they're undoubtedly probably really intelligent and would probably make really good like detectives because they see things they're and observant things and put things together yeah it's so. it's a lot like sean spencer right from psych like he's not a psychic but he's very observant and smart and he can also go and do things in ways that the police can't so like he can go circumvent police rules to interview witnesses and like get into crime scenes and stuff and investigate and so he can solve crimes because he doesn't need psychic powers yeah he's not real either and also, he's not a real psychic, even in the world of the show. So, yeah, he's not real. And he's he's not a real psychic and he's not even real. So he's not even a real, real psychic. Yeah, oh, not even a, he he's not even a real fake psychic. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he okay. plays fake psychic. on my, TV. My head is just spinning. <laughs> what if he really is a psychic who plays a fake psychic on TV? That would if be James Roday Rodriguez is a real psychic. Then he has really parlayed that into the perfect career. So good <laughs> for him. Good for him. He knows what roles to take. I'm going to take. He this does. <laughs> now in 1976, Jaeger's U.S. Psychic Rescue Squad works cases from around the country and even internationally. Whoa. And then Nimoy comes in with his closing narration. And he says, it is not inconceivable that the role of the psychic detective could have major consequences for law enforcement in the United States. If the technique of using ESP to pinpoint crime and ferret out criminals can be developed on a broad and practical scale, it may become a deterrent to anyone contemplating a criminal act. This, it seems, may not be beyond the power of the mind. Closing credits. Yeah. I mean, the government was literally trying to do that in like the 60s, 70s, 50s, 80s, maybe 90s, uh, not to fight crime, but to fight wars. But, you know, that part never changes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, because what was 
I can't remember what the name of the one for the remote viewing was, but of course, MK Ultra. MK Ultra was a hot mess. They were, they were just doing all kinds of. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, some of those things that doesn't <laughs> even sound like it could be real, but like it yeah, was. Yeah, I can't so. remember what the I can't remember what the remote viewing specifically one was called. That was like a predecessor to that, anyway. But if the Russians were doing all that kind of stuff too, which ironically, that is where well, we'll get into this a little bit. But Bevy Yeager. That's how she actually got into psychic stuff. She got interested in hearing about how the Russians were doing the remote viewing work in the 50s and got interested. So she wasn't one of those people who were like, I've had psychic vision all my life. She actually believes that all people have psychic powers. They just mm-hmm. have to develop them. So yeah. She's all about quality. So that's cool. Though they never actually speak with him directly, probably because he demanded like compensation beyond the production budget, Peter Herkos allegedly manifested extrasensory perception, ESP, after recovering from a head injury and a coma when he fell from a ladder when he was 30. Okay. So he had head injury I mean, and then had powers. That's so. like a solid psychic origin story, though. I feel like that's yeah. one of the better ones because the people who are like, oh, I had it my whole life, you're just like, okay, sure, I guess. Yeah, he's actually Dutch, so he lived in the Netherlands. Uh, he came to the United States in 1956. Um, he actually came to the United States because he heard about how they were doing psychic testing, and so he came here to be tested on that kind of stuff. And then he eventually became a professional psychic who sought clues in the Manson family murders and the Boston Strangler case, and then he basically became like a popular entertainer performing psychic tricks and live television audiences and all that kind of stuff. He was born Peter Vanderhoek on the 21st of May in 1911, in ooh, in the Netherlands. I can't say that city name. Sorry, Netherlands. I can't speak Dutch. And then he died on June 1st in 1988 in Los Angeles, California. So he died a couple days before I graduated high school. Anyway, uh, Herkos made notable claims contrary to popular belief, such as the claim that Adolf Hitler was alive and living in Argentina. So he's one of those dudes. In 1964, Attorney General Edward W. Brooke of Massachusetts said that Herkos had come uncannily close to describing the person suspected in the Boston Strangler case. However, also in 1964, Herkos was put on trial on the charge of impersonating a federal agent, found guilty, and fined $1,000. He posed as a police officer in order to gather information that he could later claim to use as psychic revelations. That's why he does this kind of things. Oh <laughs> my gosh. No, Which, I mean, that Cole is... Check was never actually convicted of posing as a police officer no, or commissioner but... for that matter. But also he wasn't doing it to scam people. So no, but he was doing it to get a scoop. Still illegal, but like the yeah. motives are better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. He got yeah, he, he was in trouble for that. By 1969, he cited a successful solution to 27 murder cases in 17 countries. Wow. However, in some cases, the detectives assigned to those cases countered that Herkos contributed no information that was unobtainable from newspapers. And in some cases, he actually had no part in the investigation whatsoever. Um, wow. Also remember that he said he'd worked on over 800 cases in 1976 or 77. So even if you double his like hit rate, that's still a bad, bad percentage. That's like less than like just getting lucky honestly so like 50 out of 800 if you're being generous and just saying he doubled it by 76 not great in the case of murder john norman collins whose crimes occurred between 1967 and 1969 he sometimes would say the killer was blonde and sometimes would say the killer was brown-haired so that when they found him he could say that he got it right no matter what oh my god i mean it's here's the thing if i had no moral scruples 
Like, I would totally be a psychic, like a fake psychic, because obviously I'm not really psychic. Uh, I feel like it's a really cool career. You just I would do become psych- like a Fox News host or something, but God, my soul would just like fall out of my body. I know. But that's the thing is like psychics, depending on what kind of psychic you claim to be and like what you claim to be able to do. Like there are psychics who claim like they can medically diagnose people mm-hmm. and they can heal you. And that kind of shit is so dangerous. But even just like, I don't know, it just seems like it's probably really fun and you get to do a lot of like the cool, like he's doing all this cool detective work and then gets the claim to be a psychic. And that's really awesome until you realize that he's just like scamming, he's scamming people, he's scamming families, like he's probably costing like investigations time and money and just i don't know it's just not a good yeah. not a good thing i don't know that i would have the cold reading skills yeah or even or even like the interpersonal skills to be a very good like fake psychic or something like that yeah but i'm ranty enough that i could definitely be like a fox news host and just oh like, yeah you could yeah, yeah. oh no i mean like yeah we're just those people who we could just sell fake vitamins like i want to rewatch vitamins they make you watch tv better you know <laughs> Yeah. I don't know that I can morals. be Alex Jones because <laughs> I do like to link things together logically and like he just randomly says shit that's just yeah no so, it's so yeah. out of yeah it makes no sense anyway that's kind of a rant so <laughs> yeah so then we talked about uh, they talked a little bit about Irene Hughes from Chicago and according to her Wikipedia page quote she was a favorite guest on the Merv Griffin show. She also made regular appearances on Regis Philbin Saturday Night in St. Louis and AM in Los Angeles. Her clients included Ava Gabor and Howard Hughes. And that's her entire Wikipedia entry. That's that's the entire thing. That like two sentences is her wow. three sentences. Three sentences is her entire Wikipedia entry. I got a little bit more from her obit on the Five Chicago NBC affiliate website. She was a Chicago Heights native. And became one of the world's most acclaimed psychics. I'm not sure about that claim. Anyway, according to her website, which is IreneHughes.com, which I could not get to load and is likely defunct. So this is the obit claiming to, according to her website, not me saying that because I couldn't get her website to load. So I can't verify any of this. It's probably been taken down. Hughes predicted the deaths of both John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy in her newspaper column before the events happened. She also told Ted Kennedy that he would be involved in a fatal automobile accident near a body of water only two weeks before the famous Lake Chappaquiddick accident. Oh, she had a thing for the Kennedys, apparently. Yeah. And then she had an office in the loop in Chicago for a number of years where she would provide predictions for her customers. She gained national fame from appearances on the Merv Griffin show and often assisted police with murder investigations. Um, So that's all just from the obit. Um, She was 92 when she died, though, in 2012. So she had a pretty good life. Yeah. So, and then Bev Yeagers, Beverly Bev Yeagers, she gained notoriety for her work in the stock market, which we don't talk about at all in the In Search of episode, and in crime detection. Apparently, she had got called by some broker at one point with her psychic powers and apparently like could do better than guessing at some point, which I mean, honestly, most people probably could if you didn't, you know, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, she professed an ability to predict changes in the market. And has had a variety of successes advising investors. On several occasions, she has proved more correct than professional market analysts at predicting future directions. Yeagers also organized a group of her students into the U.S. Psy Squad that has worked internationally assisting police with difficult criminal crimes. For many years, Yeagers has operated through Aries Productions. So I'm guessing maybe she's an Aries. 
a company she founded and headed as president from 1976 to 1984. Unfortunately, this entry does leave out that she died in December 2001. So this entry, actually, everything I've been saying so far is actually from encyclopedia.com. She's okay. on the Wikipedia page. And that only lists her birth year of 1935. doesn't say that she died, but she did die in December of 2001. She wrote some books. She wrote Psychometry, The Science of Touch, The Human Aura, How I Teach My Students to See It, The Psychic Paradigm, and then she's got a bunch of books on palmistry. Okay. So, there's actually a really good article on her from 2007 in the St. Louis Magazine. It's called Second Sight, and I'll have a link for that in the show notes. And then there's also a very detailed and very researched piece from 2019 that was inspired by a viewing of this very episode by a person who writes a blog that talks about historic true crime. And they talk about the case of Sally Lucas from 1971, which surprisingly, Bevy Yeager's actually played a, almost no role in actually solving. To be honest, the police really didn't play a big role in solving it either. It was pretty much just a bunch of luck. And then the person who committed the crime was really stupid and made a bunch of mistakes. So, but it's a very good article. And I will have a link for that in the show notes as well. Nice. Do you remember the name of the blog? The name of the blog is... The name of the blog is As Close to Crime. Okay, cool, cool. Yep. And Just then the actual, the actual post is Leonard Nimoy leaves me in search of the rest of the story. But again, there'll be a link for that in the show notes. So. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. And then there's another psychic detective who's not mentioned in the show, but who I really wanted to talk about because obviously... It's on topic. And that would be Sylvia Brown. Mm -hmm. And Sylvia Brown was an author who claimed to be a psychic medium. Yeah. Before Tori talks about her life as a psychic medium, I wanted to, this is not burying the lead, but definitely foreshadows it much like with her ghost. Brown was also convicted of fraud in the late 1980s. The FBI began investigating Brown and her businesses over several bank loans that caused sustained losses to the bank. So the banks would give her money and then they would have to like write them off as losses. And then in 1992, Brown and her then husband were indicted on several charges of investment fraud and grand theft. Brown and her husband had sold securities in a gold mining venture under false pretenses. And in at least one instance told a couple that their $20,000 investment was to be used for immediate operating costs but instead they transferred their money to their Nirvana Foundation for Psychic Research. So Brown pleaded no contest to the securities fraud and was indicted on grand larceny in Santa Clara County on May 26, 1992. She and her then husband were sentenced to one year of probation and 200 hours of community service because they're white people and it's white collar crime. And honestly, that's not even really a crime. So, you know, probation and community service is all you get for doing, stealing all that kind of money. Yeah, it's it's gross. It's our system is gross anyway. I mean, I don't think anyone should be in I think jail's not a good system either, but like the way we lock no. up people of color for like minor things and then if you're white and you steal like hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's like, eh, do some community service. Think about what you did. No one goes to jail for wage theft. Yeah, no, 100%. So not one to let a fraud conviction stop her. Brown often appeared on shows like Montel Williams and Larry King Live. Despite her fantastic claims, she famously told parents of missing kids very specific, but later proved completely incorrect things. So we're just going to give a couple examples. Uh, notably, in 1999, Brown said that six-year-old Opal Joe Jennings, who had disappeared a month earlier, had been forced into slavery in Japan. <laughs> 
Later that year, a local man was convicted of kidnapping and murdering Jennings. In 2003, an autopsy of Jennings' remains found that she actually died within hours of her abduction. Hmm. So clearly not correct. In 2002, Brown claimed that Linda McClelland, who had disappeared in 2000, had been taken by a man with the initials MJ and was alive in Orlando, Florida, and would be found soon. A year later, in 2003, McClelland's son-in-law, David Rapaski, who had been present at Brown's reading, was convicted of murdering her, and her remains were found near her home in Pennsylvania. Wow, so, like, so Sylvia Brown didn't really pick up on the fact that the murderer was in the room with her. Exactly. Like he was right there. And if she had any psychic inklings at all, probably would have known that, but apparently did not. So also in 2002, she claimed that Holly Cruson, who had disappeared in 1995, was working as an exotic dancer in a Hollywood nightclub. Four years later, in 2006, dental records were used to positively identify a body that had been found in 1996 in San Diego as Cruson's. So she had, of course, been dead that whole time or at least since 1996 on the montel williams show in 2002 she told the parents of 11 year old sean hornbeck that he'd been taken by a dark-skinned hispanic man with dreadlocks and was now dead but he was actually found alive five years later in 2007 and his abductor was white Uh, she was hot in 2002 yeah she was hot in 2002 and she was so wrong And then there's Amanda Berry, which is the case that I always think of when I think of Sylvia Brown. Amanda Berry was kidnapped in 2003, the day before her 17th birthday. In 2004, once again on the Montel Williams show, Brown told Amanda's mother, she's not alive, honey. She said Amanda's body would be found in water. The mother actually passed away from heart failure in 2006. But before that, she had taken down photos of Amanda and given away Amanda's computer because she had been 98% sure of what Brown told her. So she thought Amanda was dead, not coming home. She tried to move on. This prediction was proven false because Amanda was alive and she actually escaped her kidnapper in 2013. Her kidnapper had been holding her hostage and much like JC Lee Dugard had actually raped her and they had a child together. So Amanda was like living in this house and like locked in and he like forgot to lock one of the doors that like would have kept her in the inner house or whatever. And so she was able to get out and go to the neighbors for help. And so then obviously she was rescued and her kidnapper was apprehended and she was alive. Wow. Yeah. And apparently the Sean Hornbeck case, because he was found in 2007, even though we're going to find out like Sylvia Brown never like suffered any ramifications for any of her incorrect, you know, predictions. But on that case, apparently the, one of the uh, ITV two in England, in the UK had rerun the Montel Williams episode talking where Sylvia Brown said that, you know, he was, he had been taken and was dead and all that kind of stuff. They reran it after he had been found. And like, they totally like the, the offcom like totally fined the station. Like, yeah. Like, I saw that they had gotten fined yeah. for airing it. Cause it had complete misinformation in it or something. Yeah. Is, because it was like, a, I, I think they, about. I think they re-aired it like in 2008 or something. And so like, it was well known that like everything in the episode was false and they still re-aired it. So yeah. Her best prediction though, in my opinion and you understand why we saved this for last, is on Larry King in 2003, she predicted that she would die at the age of 88. She actually died in 2013 at the age of 77. I wonder if she died before Amanda Berry was found. 
I'm curious. I didn't check. No, she that. didn't because there's an article by like one of the local newspapers that tried to reach out to her for comment after Barry was okay. found. And so Barry must have been found way. Cause I think, cause I think uh, Sylvia Brown died like in November. Yeah. It's probably so. earlier in the year. Um, but okay. yeah, cause there's the whole article about how they tried to reach her out for, or reach out to her for comment to get her to say like, well, you predicted she was dead. What do you say now? And like, she wouldn't respond. Oh, she wouldn't so. respond. Yeah, so she was still alive when she was. She found, was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, so she was 77 when she died, which is the same age that Peter Herkos was 77 years earlier when he died. And they both died the month after their birthday. So Peter Herkos was born in May and he died in June and she was born in October and she died in November. Spooky. (laughs) Yeah. Women's are good at making connections. I am good at making connections. Yeah. So. (laughs) Maybe I would be a good Alex Jones because I can make connections on shit that has nothing to do with each other. So, yeah. So hmm, buy yeah. Our, our TV watching vitamins. They're $29.99 for a yeah. month supply. I have I have <laughs> podcast fuel. If you want to send me um, an envelope full of money, I will send you some podcast fuel. It's probably so, a can of Pepsi. but <laughs> yeah, A little can of Pepsi. Tori likes the little cans of Pepsi. I know, the little seven-ounce ones with the real sugar. Fuel. You got to have the real sugar, though. No high fructose corn syrup. It's really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But as we mentioned, like Brown never suffered from any of her outright false predictions and maintaining her popularity right up to her death. The same seems to be true for Herkos and Hughes and, honestly, Jaeger. So what can we say? We like to end on feel-good stories. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, yeah, it just feels like you can get away with so much. And I just, it makes me crazy because like, I would feel so guilty. I would feel so, I would never be able to like sleep or live with myself. And then you hear about these people who are just like total frauds all the time. And it's like, they have no problem. They rake in the cash and it's fine. Good for What's, them, what, what gets me is like, they are demonstrable frauds like you could like there's evidence i mean i get it that people can change right so you were convicted of fraud in 1992 that doesn't mean you know maybe you learn your lesson but then you go from selling fake gold to like being a psychic i mean she was apparently already in the psychic because she was using some of the money from her fake gold stuff to go into her psychic research for center that she was running so i mean that was obviously a thing but it's like, do people not like put two and two together? Like, I mean, you should give people the benefit of the doubt, but at some point, you just need to smack them and yeah. stop it. So, because I'd like to end on a feel good. So, <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah, that was Psychic Detectives. Yeah, but you knew that already. Yep. Mind power. So, mind power, thanks. Swede. Mind power. Thanks for supporting us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Because we couldn't do this without you. So thank you. I mean, we could, but yeah, it would but suck. It would be less fun. So, so we're glad yeah. you're here to listen to our rambling. I actually don't know that it would be less fun. Honestly, I'm really selling it. But <laughs> we do appreciate you guys because, you know, we live in a capitalist system and some money. We sweet. do. But <laughs> we do. And we need to pay our bills. And you know. yeah. Also, it's just nice to know that people like want to listen to you. Yeah, that too. It's nice that it makes people... you have some worth. So. Yeah enjoy us talking about these things and we enjoy doing it so we hope you enjoy listening yeah all right see you next time bye next wednesday bye-bye
Yes. So let's just do this little when internet searches go wrong because people's names are weird and not shown on the screen thing. It's really okay, short. Where is that? I don't even know. That's at the very bottom. So scroll past oh, the I sources. Oh, I already closed it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Scroll past it. There's a blank page and then at the very bottom. I don't scroll down. All right. There we go. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Welcome to a Patreon bonus, bonus episode based <laughs> on our In Search of episode, Psychic Detectives. So we are titling this, When Internet Searches Go Wrong Because People's Names Are Weird and Not Shown on Screen. So this is all me. All me. So I like you were to trying a lot to find of... information on Bevy, right? Well, don't change that in the text because I was trying to find more information on what I thought was Debbie Yeager because I could not understand Leonard Nimoy in the episode. So he was oh. saying Bevy Yeager and I thought he was saying Debbie Yeager ah. and I was spelling Yeager with a Y like Chuck Yeager instead of a J like Jägermeister. So I did some research and I have notes about the research that I did on the person who is not the person who's in the episode. And strangely it works. I could have left it all in and been completely wrong and it would have been embarrassing, but it still would have been fun. So we're going to talk about the notes that I found. So I have that in trying to find out more information on Deborah Yeager, there was not a lot I could find. The biggest hit that I could find for Deborah Yeager was for a 2007 self-published book entitled medium rare with a little comma there, right? Like a little, you know, kind of meat thing. And that is listed as being published by Kelly O'Rourke Johns and Deborah Yeager. And it's actually listed as being written by Yeager. And the blurb reads, what happens when a suburban housewife befriends a renowned psychic? In this dual memoir, self-proclaimed soccer mom, Kelly O'Rourke Johns recalls her otherworldly journey of friendship and self-discovery as she works to write the life story of renowned psychic channeler, Deborah Yeager. Which sounds like Kelly O'Rourke Johns is the author, not Deborah Yeager, but whatever. I don't know. Either way, um, I'm not sure how renowned you are when a self-published book is based on all that exists about you online. But okay, because I couldn't find anything else. But I did find one other thing about Deborah Yeager. And even if I put in the term in search of, I could not find anything about her, which... In hindsight, it's because it was the wrong person. It was right. Betty she wasn't Yeager. on in search of. She yeah. wasn't on in search of, which is why I couldn't hit any hits. But I didn't know that at the time. I thought it was Debbie Yeager because I couldn't understand Leonard anyway talking. Anyway, so digging deep into the Google searches, I did find this weird little article that tells us that Yeager possibly moved from St. Louis to Hopkins, Minnesota sometime before August 13th, 1996, which is when she traveled 50 miles north to a location about 10 miles southwest of Pease, Minnesota, with a MUFON researcher to examine a crop circle. Whoa. Yeah. At the site, she said that she sensed a craft about 18 inches above the ground and saw five feet tall entities moving about in the corn. She also sensed entities on a bigger ship at a distance away that may have been from a different race. Whoa. I was like, wow. I was also not sure if it was the same Deborah Yeager, but because I couldn't find anything else, but like that was all I could find. And then what was nice about that is that we were talking about how everyone seemed to have like a happy ending. Like, you know, like Sylvia Brown didn't suffer any ramifications and her ghost didn't and Hughes didn't. And I was like, 
I mean, maybe even Jaeger did. We don't know, but maybe those aliens, because she did say the aliens would come back on November 3rd and 5th in 1996. And I was like, well, maybe they came back and they took her. And that's why we don't know anything about her. <laughs> so maybe that's happy. Maybe. Ending. Yeah. But that's it was a funny. It was a totally wrong person, and yet it would still work in the episode, which is amazing and scary. So, yeah, that is funny. And I know, like, in search of sometimes when he says a name, I'll like have to search like something that sounds similar, plus like rocket scientist or whatever mm-hmm. it is they're talking about. Trying to yeah, find sometimes like, the Google right will autocorrect for me when I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll fix the name for me if you yeah. get close enough. But, but like, yeah, sometimes yeah. you're just like, wait, what is he saying? And I just like, rewind it. I'm like, yeah, because they don't do that thing like modern ones do where they actually put the person's name on the screen when they're talking uh-huh. to them. He just says it. He and just says so, it. And then you kind of have to remember, like, you're like, OK, wait, what did he say? And also, who was that guy? Because it doesn't say it again. So, yeah. So I thought I he was appreciate- saying <laughs> I thought he was saying Debbie and Deb instead of Bevy and Bev. And then but then I was like. I was, I don't remember how I discovered that I was wrong. I was doing something else because I was like, there's got to be more. And so I think I was, I don't remember what I did, but when I typed it in one time, Google changed the Y to a J and then it was all Bevy Yeager in search of. And I'm like, what? And then I like click, 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 and then found all this shit. So um, yeah. And there'll be links again in the Mm. original episode for all the stuff on Bevy Yeager, which actually some, some really good reads. So you should just leave this in the, the same episode. I don't think it needs to be separate. Maybe this will be the maybe this will be the, um, the outtake. The outtake. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. This, maybe this will be the outtake. Yeah. Nice. It's a big long outtake, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, that's cool. how they get you, man. That is how yeah. they get you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I caught it before we put it in the episode. I know. I know. And I wouldn't have known because I heard. I heard the whatever Jaeger and I was like, okay, but yeah, I don't know that I got her name was Beth. Yeah. And I just immediately thought Chuck Jaeger, not Jaegermeister. So yeah. Yeah. Bevy Jaegermeister psychic <laughs> detective. So yep. Cool. All right. All right. All right. Well, I guess that'll be the outtake. So It could still be a bonus bonus episode just on the end. So there you it's go. Like a, little, it's like a little mini episode. It's a, little, it's a little motherfucking bonus. mini episode. Just like <laughs> my mama told me. Which they haven't been doing them lately because they've been running reruns of the regular episode and haven't been doing motherfucking mini episodes. Sad. Anyway. Sorry. But, that's probably going to stay in too. All right. You want to take your break? Uh, let's do the end credits real quick. Oh, fuck. <laughs> All right. Fine. Tori. Come on, buddy. Let's do the credits. <laughs> You're the one who wrote the credits. I'm such an awful producer, I swear to God. No, it's fine. I think because we it just felt like we already did them. And then <laughs> Yeah, because we're randomly going off about shit. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Bad research is by Nick. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes. I'm just going to keep reading it. Covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We would be happy to have them. Speaking of which, you should join us next Wednesday as we go in search of a call from space as we try and figure out if if the the truth truth is still 
out there. The truth is what we make of it. Chicago, psychic Irene Hughes has received commendations from police for her assistance in helping them solve no less than 15 murder cases. Whoa. That's, that's a pretty good number. That's like a whole season of psych right there. Good job. Yet the Chicago PD constantly harasses. <laughs> oh, straight ahead. <laughs> god damn it okay i don't know if you should say that line no that's you it's all (laughs) so funny i was expecting it to be like and then i'm like wait crap cool check what the fuck are we talking about oh lord all right 